the Celebration Rock Podcast presented by 93XFM here in Minneapolis and uprocks.com. I'm your host, Stephen Hyden. Today we're going to be talking about Tom Petty. There's a new box set that came out on September 28th. It's called An American Treasure, and it collects 60 songs from Tom Petty's catalog. And what's interesting about this box set is that there really aren't any of the hits that you associate with Tom Petty, like Free Fallen, American Girl, The Waiting, Don't Come Around Here No More. None of those songs are on this box set. And the hits that are on the box set, they're represented in different ways. Like there's a live track of I Won't Back Down. There's a live track of Even the Losers. There's alternate versions of some of those big songs. But for the most part, this box set looks at the less traveled parts of the Tom Petty discography. There's B-sides. There's like lots of live tracks. There's deep cuts from lesser known albums. There's a lot of unreleased songs including a lot, of, a lot of really great unreleased songs. If you're a Tom Petty fan, I think this box set has a lot to offer. It's not just going to reiterate the music that you already know, and it's actually going to spotlight some music that you might not be as familiar with or that you've never heard at all. I also think that if you've never listened to Tom Petty, that this is also a good introduction, because even if you've never really listened to Tom Petty, you, you've no doubt heard the big songs. You know, We've all heard American Girl a million times, Anytime you go to a, a stadium or the grocery store or wherever. And as great as that song is, when you only hear the same songs by a great artist all the time, it, it can kind of freeze that artist in ember and make them not seem as vital as they really are. And it seems like in the time since Tom Petty died that there's been an effort to sort of broaden the horizons with uh, his music. The fact that the same songs were always played on classic rock radio, or the fact that Petty himself kind of flogged the same songs all the time when he was on tour with the Heartbreakers, it's kind of left this big catalog of music uh, that hasn't really been explored very much. You know, and that's something that I'm excited to explore and also talk about with with my guest for this week's episode, and that is Steve Kandel. He's a person that you might know from many, many different places. He's written for pretty much every music publication under the sun, places like Pitchfork, Spin, BuzzFeed, all types of places. And he's also a big Tom Petty fan, and uh, we had a great time you know, talking about, about Petty's catalog, as well as a phenomenon that I find really fascinating, which is how does death impact how we look at our biggest musical icons. You know, we've experienced this over and over in recent years where, you know, people like Tom Petty and David Bowie and Prince and Aretha Franklin and Leonard Cohen and all the way down the line, they've passed away and it sort of led people to reassess their connection uh, to these artists. And as beloved as these artists are, something inevitably happens after they die where we start to think of them in sort of an elevated way. You know, and, and in a lot of ways, any kind of critical perspective that we have on these artists uh, goes away as well. And I've noticed that with me and Tom Petty, that uh, as much as I loved him before he died, I'm sort of at the point now like where if I hear any Tom Petty song, even a Tom Petty song that I don't really feel like I like, I find myself enjoying it. <laughs> you know? Like My love for him has grown deeper in the past year, and I'm just really intrigued by that phenomenon. You know, What is it about death that enriches our experience with the artists that we've lost in recent years. Um, you know, is that just sentimentality, you know, or is it something else? Is there something maybe that, that makes us see how we took these people for granted while they were alive? Uh, that's another thing that I explored with Steve. So this is a really great conversation, and I think you're all going to enjoy it. But before we get to that, I want to tell you about our sponsor for this week's episode, and it's our old friends at Harry's. Now, if you are a person that needs to shave all the time, like I do, i got to shave pretty much every other day. You know that buying razors is, is a hassle. You have to go to the store. You got to pay all this money. It takes a lot of time. And who has time to buy razors? Well, if you are in this kind of predicament, I have the deal for you. And I have a deal just for you, my Celebration Rock listeners. What you want to do is you want to go to harrys.com backslash rock. And you want to sign up for this trial offer. Now, what are you going to get in this trial offer? Well, you're going to get a weighted ergonomic handle. 
the five-blade razor with lubricating strip and trimmer blade, the rich lathering shave gel, and, of course, the travel blade cover, a favorite of Derek Madden, Celebration Rock pod producer. I'm going out of town next week. I'm going to get all over that travel blade cover. <laughs> so, again, you want to go to harrys.com backslash rock. You want to sign up for this trial offer. You're going to get a great set of razors, and you're also going to help out the podcast. So thank you for doing that. Again, go to harrys.com backslash rock. Again, that's harrys.com backslash rock to redeem your offer. Okay. So me and Steve Kandel, we got into it about Tom Petty. We talked about An American Treasure, the new box set. And uh, we also talked about just how, I guess, when our icons go away, why do we appreciate them more? You know, we had a really good conversation about that. And uh, why don't we get to it? Here's me and Steve Kandel on the Celebration Rock podcast. Well, let's begin with this. You know, one thing I've been intrigued by lately, and this is true of Tom Petty, but it's it's true of all of the musical icons that have that have passed on in the last, you know, several years. Mm-hmm. It, it's a phenomenon that I don't think is unique. It seems sort of intuitive, but I think it's interesting. And it's this idea that, like, when someone dies and we listen to that person's music, that in some way it sounds different. And some ways it sounds better or more profound or we approach it differently. And, you know, we see this in the short term, of course, when someone dies, usually there's a big rush on people buying the music or streaming the music. You know, normally a bunch of albums by that person will re-enter the top 10 for the week. That's a common thing. And then in the long term, I think it's pretty common to see a reevaluation of the artist's work that kind of goes on in the years after that. I think that happened with Bowie. I think it happened with Prince to a degree. You know, I thought it was interesting when Pitchfork did their top 100 albums of the 80s and Purple Rain was number one. And of course, Purple Rain was already a great record. I'm sure it was already ranked high on the previous list that Pitchfork did. But I do wonder if Prince's recent death sort of pushed that over the line past Thriller or Born in the USA or Remain in Light or any of the other kind of big 80s records that people talk about with that. Um, yeah, definitely. First of all, I mean, I read your piece this morning and it's great. I mean, I, I agree with so much of that too. And I think that that is, um, you know, a totally natural thing. And the, the thing that you had mentioned about hit and run, you know, get, you get a 4.7 one day and then basically a few weeks later, if that thing, or a couple months later, if that thing had come out, it would have been like, look at what we just lost. Right. And, um, you know, I think it's that stuff is particularly true of people who've been around a long time and their, their, your opinions of them have been able to sort of stratify just because of um, lack of having to really sort of think about it or be challenged. So, I mean, I think some of what you're talking about is just that, like, there hasn't been any other occasion to revisit or to recontextualize the way there is with something as, like, momentous as a death, you know? I mean, um, I mean, I mean, is it that? I mean, because I also feel like you know, there's obviously sentimentality that comes into play. I mean, you, you, you feel differently about someone after they're gone. You you have warmer feelings for them naturally. You, you don't want to be as critical about them. I mean, I had this theory in my piece, and, and you referenced the piece I wrote for Rockrocks.com. Thank you very much for uh, plugging me before <laughs> I had to plug myself. <laughs> but you know, in that piece, I made reference to like Prince put out a studio record. I think it was called like Hit and Run Phase Two that was reviewed yeah. in Pitchfork like three months before Prince died, and it got a 4.7. And I think the headline said something like, another underwhelming release from Prince, like, in the last, you know, 20 years. And, and that was true. Like, the last two decades of his career, for the most part, people didn't really care about the new records that he was putting out. And then he, you know, dies three months later, and everyone starts talking about how Prince was the, sort of the the, the soundtrack of their life and how momentous it was mm-hmm. for him. And I don't think those people are lying. I think that's actually true. Certainly there was a time where they probably listened to Prince all the time and or, or, or whoever. But, um, I mean, the theory I had was that it's sort of a, a, a thing about supply and demand, that when you know that an artist is there and that there's always the chance that you can see them live or that they're, that they're going to make another record, that it, it does kind of cause you to maybe take them for granted or undervalue it a little bit. But then when they're gone and you know, okay, there's no more new albums, there's no more new shows, all we have is this body of work, I have to reinvestigate this. this is, you know, I'm going to listen to the records I didn't really pay attention to before because this is the only new music that I'm ever going to get from this artist. Uh, I mean, do, does that ring true for you? I mean, why else do you think that people sort of feel this way about fallen icons? I mean, I, I think it's definitely true. I think, I think, 
you know, I, I, I think I'm, I'm similar to you and I'm surprised by the reaction I still have about Teddy. Like I, like I, I ca- actually catch myself like, and throughout the course of any given day, like stopping and thinking like, Holy shit, Tom Petty died. Like that's, <laughs> that's fucking crazy. And, you know, and, and I, I think everyone has moments of that with like Prince or with Bowie, but I think the difference is there's always been occasion to, evaluate their careers and talk about their images and talk about the things they've done. And they just, you know, have done the kinds of work that sort of lends itself to like thinking bigger thoughts about one of the sort of great things about Petty. It was like, he was someone that he was just, this almost, this sounds like an insult, but he's just, he was just agreeable. Like (laughs) he put out songs that a lot of people liked and they weren't like, well, but it was never like, well, what does he mean? Like, what is he going for here? And, you know, and, and, and maybe that made him sort of considered to be a different kind of artist. But I also think that, like, that's a much harder thing to do now. It's so hard to get, you know, large amounts of people to agree on anything. He was like, you know, maybe the last guy we could all just sort of agree on. Well, and, um, and I think you hit on a great point there that, you know, I think the other thing with Prince and Bowie is that they each had their moments where they were you know, sort of at the at the center of the zeitgeist, you know, where, where sure, people yeah. were really looking at them as sort of the epitome of great glamorous artists. And as consistently great as Tom Petty was for a long time, he never really had that moment. He was never like the guy. Like if you want to make a sports analogy, you know, he was never uh, Steph Curry or he was never LeBron yeah. James. He was always like, like, who's like the third or fourth best basketball player, like that you could say. Um I think the modern analog for this that I've, you know, seen and heard and probably said myself like so many times is like spoon. Like, what do you do with right. a band that's just really good for a long time, but there's not going to be some like zeitgeist moment. There's not going to, you know, and, and it, in a way, it seems like you know you can get penalized just for like hitting like solid du- doubles and triples every every time out, as if that's an easy thing to do. Um, and I think that like. You know, maybe uh, like ladder, you know, ladder petty, maybe like a little bit less so. But I do think that like there's something to be said for the fact that like it's just easy to take for granted when not only it's just always it's always good. You know, like right. there will always be a hit and there will always go all of those. I mean, I think, you know, something you had said, too, he was never really known as an album artist. But, you know, like every album like, has a couple good songs. You know, right. there's always clinkers, but there's always like. Um, you know, he, he always, he always did the work. There was like his, his like second tier is probably like the strongest in rock, you know? Oh yeah. It's totally. not just like, it's, it's not like hits and filler. Like he's got, he's got this whole like second tier of songs. I mean, we can get, this one maybe we'd get into more later that are, that are, you know, not as heralded, but they're just like really good. And I, and I just think the cumulative effect of that after like 40 years is that you just sort of feel like, okay, well, that's not something I really have to to think about a whole lot because it's, it's just all, you know, it's, it's there and it's always been there and it's always going to be there. And it's not necessarily subject to the peaks and valleys and the drama of, um, you know, something like Prince. It's, it's tricky because, you know, those, those albums, you know, just sort of got, got put up on streaming a couple, a couple weeks ago, you know, for the first time ever. And, you know, that was something he famously didn't really want to do. And then it was sort of like, Oh wow, all these records are out. And then it's like, Oh, Right. Like a lot of these weren't that good, but you really don't want to, you really, like, you really want to sort of strain to sort of like see, you know, it was just like batting average. He was just doing so much stuff and, and the batting average in there maybe wasn't so great that it was easy to be like, okay, well, we can sit this one out. He'll have another one in a year, year and a half. Where I think with like Petty, it was never quite the same high or quite the same low, which is kind of always like, it just kind of, it was just kind of there. And it, it never felt like a drop off. It never felt like it was too prolific. It never felt like he was easy to tune out. What I think is interesting about Petty to me is that, and this is something that I was talking about in my piece, in that when I, like in the past like 12 months, basically in the period since he died, the thing I've noticed is that there isn't a Tom Petty song that I hear now that I don't love. Every right. I love everything that he does now, yeah. and and I never get sick of listening to him. Like last night, after I wrote my piece, I listened to Tom Petty for like two hours after I got done working, yeah. and I was drinking beer, and it was like a really awesome yeah. night. And it's interesting because like I, I I think about 
I kind of question my own uh, response to the music right now, and I wonder what exactly is influencing that. And I think the reason I'm I'm wondering this about myself is that I wrote this book that came out earlier this year called Twilight of the Gods. Derek, that's a Mm -hmm. that's a that's a plug. Nicely done. (laughs) Yeah, thank you very much. And um, Tom Petty died during the course of me kind of working on like a later draft of that book. So I'd written a part in that book about Tom Petty. And there's a section of the book where I compare him to Bruce Springsteen. And I'm talking about how Bruce Springsteen kind of had this sort of perfectionism to him when he worked on his albums and that he had this sort of, uh, you know, unending desire to be great and to achieve greatness, you know, even to an obnoxious degree sometimes. And Tom Petty had more of a kind of a casual approach, I think, in a lot of ways to how he approached certainly making albums. Not, not to say that he didn't care, but it, at least compared to Springsteen, I think even when, when you listen to Petty, there's a very sort of engaging, endearing casualness that uh, made his record sound so good on the radio. I mean, there's a lightness to his music that Springsteen's doesn't have, that he could never have even if he tried to have that. And I think there's a line in the book where I talk about how every album that he has has three to four perfect songs, and the rest is very well played, very sound, like very appealing sounding filler, basically. And I remember reading that after Petty died and feeling like maybe I should change that because it seemed now maybe overly critical or even snarky to talk about him that way. And and I realized that, um, and I, I ended up keeping it the same because I trusted my opinion before he died more so than my opinion after he died. Like I felt like in a way that was maybe a better critical assessment than how I feel now after he after he's gone. And I'm just wondering, you know, cause to me, I just think that's a really kind of intriguing idea that like once maybe someone goes, our critical perspective on them sort of gets skewed and it's not as honest maybe uh, because there's so many other things that come into play with, with, the, with these things. It does. I mean, I, I think, I think to some, I mean, I, I, I totally hear that. I, I think, you know, I've been listening to, to, you know, honestly, for the year straight, I've, I've probably, past year straight, I've probably listened to more like Tom Petty than I have in the, you know, 10 years before that combined. And I have like a similar reaction. And, you know, with me, I think it's, it's a little bit of like, it's not that like that stuff isn't really filler, you know, three or four songs, an album and the rest is filler you know, on a song, on an album that only has nine songs, that's a really good percentage, right. you know, um, uh, which a lot of his, you know, <laughs> that's what a lot of his albums were. They weren't like these big sprawling things. So, I mean, I think what some of it is, is just a little bit of maybe guilt about not realizing how hard even that was to do. And it's sort of easy to sort of, you know, I think what you're saying is like, it feels casual and it's easier to sort of dismiss compared to like, you know, uh, you know, a, ca- a, a capital W piece of work, like a Bruce Springsteen album, um, that, that, you know, I think it's just sort of easier to be like, oh yeah, he's just kind of doing his thing. But then I think what happens after someone dies and you sort of looking at like, it's not that you're necessarily liking the music more. Or, or, I mean, yeah, you're going to be a little more sentimental about it, but I do think that, that it's pretty fair to sort of think that like, even that thing that was, that was easier easy to, enough to dismiss, there is a realization that like that is really, really hard thing to do <laughs> because no one else has been able to do it. Right. So even, even like what you're talking about, like, oh, it's, it's a little bit more casual. Like there's something about the sort of alchemy of being that casual and being not like super prolific, but also never really going away. Like there's never a Tom Petty comeback album. There was never his like first album in nine years. You know, he's always been around he did things with the band. He did things without the band, but he never disappeared. Um, you know, so there wasn't that sort of like momentous occasion. Um, there was, that it would be even with like, you know, Springsteen actually has had moments like that, you know, even though there aren't like huge gaps in his, in his discography necessarily, but he's always, there's always been some, there's always like some sort of hook in a way that there maybe, you know, wasn't with a, a petty album, which made it feel like it wasn't, an event the same way or that it didn't feel it's thought through the same way. But I think that, yeah, what, what, what comes through, like looking, you know, with hindsight after someone's died is you realize and you appreciate like, like that's really hard to do to just kind of always, always be making records and never really sucking. 
like right. over 40 years. Like that is impossible to do. There's no like dark period. There's no like, like reclamation era. There's no return to form. It's just like some records were definitely better than others for sure. But there was, but you know, h- how hard is that to just always be around and always be doing, you know, be doing something worthwhile. I think it's easy to, to take that for granted when it's around. And then when, when someone like, you know, is around doing that, then after the fact, you look at it and you go, shit, like, how do you do that? Because I didn't know, I mean, like, like a lot of these things you're talking about, a lot of these records, you know, there's things you would have really liked, but you didn't really know about at the time. And I'm the same way. This is stuff that like is really right up my alley and I didn't even pay any attention to it. And if I didn't pay attention to it, who is going to pay attention to it? Because I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm like straight down the middle of like of, of who and out, you know, a record like that is going to be made for. And if, if I'm not really paying attention, then a lot of people may not be. And I think that like, there's just some of that, like, huh, like this was like sitting right in front of me. And I didn't really think twice about it because it's just that guy who's always around. And then you listen to it after the fact and like, shit, like that's a lot of really good stuff that like was not really on my radar and it totally could have been, and it totally should have been. And, you know, at the very least, there's this recognition that, like, that is an extremely hard thing to do. Well, I think with Petty, too, I mean, I think the thing with Petty, too, that's interesting, and this kind of leads into the box set that that came out last Friday, American Treasure, which is that Petty, I think, more than his contemporaries, is defined by his hits. You know, there's like a narrow body of work that everybody knows, that has a ubiquity that I think even goes beyond like the biggest Springsteen songs or the biggest like Neil Young songs or like anyone that you would mention about being a contemporary to Tom Petty. He has about 12 to 16 songs that I think if you've ever spent time in, you know, a major league ballpark or at a gas station or any kind of public setting, like you've heard these songs many, many times. And, you know, we could talk about Free Fallen, American Girl, The Waitin', uh, The Waiting. I said The Waitin'. I don't know why I said wait. Uh, don't don't come around here no more. I won't back down. All these songs. Don't come around that, here anymore. Don't come around here anymore. No, I'm no, no, I got that one right. Got that one right. Um, I know. I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm just saying because you know, he's southern, so I wanted to call it the waiting. Yeah. Um, yep. But anyway, there's this. You know, and people all know these songs, and like you know, his greatest hits record. I think is like 12 times platinum. It's by far the best-selling record that he's ever put out. I think Full Moon Fever is like six times platinum, and that's the next best-selling record. Um, so he doesn't have like a Born in the USA, even like in his catalog, that sort of towers, like a studio record that uh, where the whole album is a touchstone for people. And you know, I think on one hand, you could say that those hits have given petty i mean i mean those are great songs they're it's a great legacy it really has kind of entrenched him into popular culture in a way that a lot of his peers aren't but i think there's also another argument you could say and i think these are probably equally true that those hits the focus on those hits it sort of calcified him in a way where he is considered this musical comfort food you know that you don't really have to think about that you just enjoy it's like this music is in the atmosphere and it's wonderful that that's true, but it also sort of discourages any sort of future, any further investigation into the catalog. And it just becomes about these songs that everyone knows. And it, it becomes a little boring, I think, in a way. It, it, I think it leads, I think it's what led a lot of people to kind of take him for granted, which is what is interesting about this box set, because there seems to be a concerted effort along with trying to just kind of cash in, I guess, on his archives. I mean, you could look at it cynically that way, but it seems like artistically anyway with this box set, what they're trying to do is to kind of nudge people beyond those hits because there aren't really any of the big songs on the box set. Do you think that approach serves Petty well? Or are those great songs that we all know, are those the most important songs and maybe you don't need to dig in so deep? Well, I think it's both. I mean, I think that this is something I think I said to you the other day, too. I think that Petty is like one of the rare artists where you could make the case that like his biggest hits are his best songs. I think with almost any artist, there's always going to be some sort of like sleeper. Someone's got something like this is the real like this one's for the real head. But like who could possibly like make the argument that like American Girl and Breakdown and Refugee aren't like 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 the best things he's done? I mean, it's just kind of true. I mean, you could pick other songs from those records and say like, well, those, those should have been the singles. And like, 
you know, I guess, but you're probably just being contrary for contrary's sake. I mean, those are like, you know, those are his best songs. And those are the songs that were, um, that he was like remembered for the most. And there's some, like that kind of makes sense. I think, I mean, something that I had said, you know, earlier was that he has one of the strongest, like tier twos in rock history. And I think that like what that, what the box set does and what you sort of see happening is like, okay, so what is the next level of songs that are going to start like taking their place in the Pantheon? And like, you know, I mean, for, to me, like for me, like one of, actually the one song that like a long time ago, I would have said like, this should have been his biggest hit is like something like even the losers. And now I think that is kind of considered like one of his biggest hits, but I feel like it wasn't a long time ago. I feel like that's been sort of a slow creep towards the center for something like that. Um, I mean, I may be wrong. I, I may be remembering it wrong, but no, I think I, that was always. I think you're right. Songs that was like considered like, uh, oh yeah, well you know this is sure like you know refugee, but this is you know even the losers the real you know and like but I feel like that's at this point. I mean, that is the most one of the most, probably the third most famous song on um, on this box set. You know, like he he did sort of really steer away from that but like and it's a live version thing. too it's not the original studio version i think it's like an acoustic version from yeah no it's, it's, um, no i think yeah it, but it, you know it comes up here as like being like one of like the requisite hits you know like it feels like it's already crossed over to the other side i think that there's a whole other wave of of um of other songs of his that that have been kind of they weren't quite they weren't sort of quite hits or they weren't singles but um but now they have a chance to sort of be elevated a little bit too. And I don't think, um, well, one thing I think that's worth mentioning too, is that like you and I, I think are, are around the same age. Like I'm, I'm 41 and you're like around 40, right? Oh man. Bless your heart. Are you older uh, than me? I'm older than you. But. Okay. So you're, so you're, so you're, you're North of 41. So maybe, cause I know for me, like the first big Tom Petty record that I was like, sort of alive to, to know about and care about was full moon fever. And like the nineties petty was like my petty. And then I went back and I got all the seventies and eighties albums. So there is that sort of like two waves, I think of, of petty fandom, at least like if you were alive when the albums were coming out. So like full moon fever has like such an outsized footprint, I think on like what, how a lot of people know him. So like in a way, I guess for those people, like a song, like even the losers, is like a deep cut because you're used to like all the full moon fever tracks and into the great wide open and wildflowers, all those albums. Um, and I know you're not a full moon fever guy, right? You don't like that record. Well, no. So I think, I think it's, I'm not very much older than you, but I do think that there's a weird like generational thing. Cause I feel like for me, I'm, I'm old enough that like, uh, that like, I guess like long after dark and like Southern accents were like really, really big deals for me. And that was where I sort of came in. And then, like, when Full Moon Theater came out, that was right when I was, like, old enough to, to be, like, contrary and be, like, I, I, I actually don't like Full Moon Theater very much, and I didn't like the sounds of that and, like, the Traveling Wilburys records of Jeff Lynne, like, the really sort of big, open drum sound. It didn't at all. It never kind of felt, like, right to me. Um, even though those were like, so it was weird that that was never the touchstone for me. That was, that was kind of the thing where it was like, okay, well maybe this is something else now. I was never like mad at it, but that was never the, that was never the way in. I, I, I was, I, you know, whereas I think of, uh, yeah, I would say like long after, I think that's around 85. Yeah. I remember like Southern accents being a really like big deal and, uh, and like pack up the plantation and, and the the live film of of, uh, of that, I remember that feeling like really formative to me. And those were just like you know, kind of like a loose rock band. And uh, and whereas Full Moon Fever, you know, to me that felt like I thought that that was like at the time like Teddy's like human touch, you know, like oh uh, man, I don't I don't think history like proved me right, but I feel like <laughs> at the time I probably grouped those in together. And I always separated like the songs from how they sounded. Um, you'd always see those songs live and it'd be like, Oh, I mean, nothing, no one's going to argue against, you know, free falling or running down a dream of songs, but there's just something about the way they sounded. And I'm not really that guy about things, but for some reason, uh, those always rubbed me the wrong way just as like 
recordings and uh but it just i just mean kind of weirdly generationally that wasn't that was never the be all end all for me i, I felt like uh like wildflowers is sort of like a you know a little bit like you know dialing it back a little bit and and and, and um uh i was back you know i never like went away but but uh it's just yeah there, there's uh I just, I just love that I found the one Tom Petty fan that isn't into Full Moon Fever. <laughs> I mean, I, I think this is like an awesome... I, I know you're not the only one. I'm sure there's like lots of people that agree with that. Like, I, and I've heard the complaints about the Jeff Lynne production. I mean, it really kind of goes deep uh, into the Great I, Wide Open. I, I, like, that album is like super like, produced. I feel like Full I Moon know. Fever is like a little more restrained than the Traveling Wilburys record and like Into the Great Wide Open. I mean, I love Into the Great Wide Open. I mean, but those were totally like my entry points in, into Tom Petty, and then you know Mary Jane's Last yeah. Dance and all that stuff. Derek, you had you're going to chime in. I, I hope Full Moon Fever will be would be his rising at least. But um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think there's a there's a kind of a, like a, a classic rock radio effect that almost like similar to the to the Eagles, where this format came along sort of in the middle of Tom Petty's career. Uh- and I think sort of changed the legacy of some of his earlier stuff uh, versus what it might have been on contemporary radio. Whereas when Full Moon Fever came around, he was kind of this MTV star right. for a minute. Like if, if Tom Petty had a moment, it was certainly like that era. Um, Although so, he was always on MTV. I remember being five or six years old and seeing the video for You Got Lucky. Yeah. I, and then I, like, uh, I made like Van Halen videos and Michael Jackson. Because he, I he mean, was Petty, around. Yeah. And Petty won a Video Vanguard Award for which, the, the Don't Come Around Here No More. Is that no, it? that's like the career oh, oh, award. Oh, right, right. You yeah. know? So it's like, you know. But don't, don't Come Around Here No More was, was the, that was like his sledgehammer. That was the one right. that made him like an MTV. Although You Got Lucky probably a little bit. A little yeah. bit. I always loved the yeah, You Got Lucky like, video. Like yeah. the Mad Max Ooh. video, I thought it was awesome. And yeah. then, well, and like running down the dream, like had uh, running down a dream had the like animation thing going on in that video. Yeah. I remember that being like well regarded. I mean, Petty like and, 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 like into the, into the Great Wide Open had Johnny Depp. I mean, I mean that's the thing. Like get more video vanguard than that. Like one, th- you know, and I wrote about this in the book, but like Petty's videos were act- like he actually gave a shit about his videos in a way that like Bruce Springsteen didn't. Like Bruce Springsteen's videos like are generally like pretty shitty, even though he was working like mm. with great directors a lot of the time. But like Petty, like made good music videos, like in a way that you wouldn't expect a guy like that to care. And I'm sure like he would never admit to that. But the videos were too good for him not to have no, some I, knowledge I, of that. I mean, would. I think he, I think he actually cared about having good music videos. No, I think he wanted, like, I think he wanted to be a pop star. Like there was never any sort of, you know, there was no real pretension in like, oh, I'm going to do. Oh, I guess they're playing that on the radio. Fine. I mean, as far as I, I know about that, he was always trying to like get played on the radio and he never sort of he never rejected that he never stopped playing his biggest hits because he was like bored of them there was never any sort of uh backlash there was he you know that that was something he always wanted like he you know like like look at that guy like you think he can believe his luck that he sort of came up and got to be someone who like got to be on camera and like filmed and these cool things all the time i think he probably probably thought he was insanely lucky to even have the opportunity to, to be someone who might win a video vanguard. And he never turned up his nose at that. He never turned up his nose at the idea of trying to be popular and trying to have hits. You know, there was never, um, even like, like his sort of later era shows when he was doing, you know, his, his, it was more like a jam band kind of thing where he had like the Persian rug down and three hour shows or whatever, you know, like, he he wanted to, he wanted pop hits and he always wanted that and he never rejected that. Um, uh, so in a way that even Springsteen, I feel like, would be a little squeamish about. Like he sort of eventually kind of got there, but it always felt like, okay, fine, I guess I'm doing this now, you know. But like with Petty, that was that was always the point, you know. And 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 uh, well, his run too, like of having hits, like from basically the late '70s until like really like the mid '90s, he was having songs that were big on MTV, that were big on certainly yeah. like rock radio at least. I mean, that's a pretty great run. I mean, I, I, in terms of like American rock bands, I mean, I mean, I, they, they, I mean Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers have to be like the best singles band, like rivaling like CCR. I feel like CCR. And the Beach Boys, like they're on that level of like a band that, like those, like because like similar to those bands, like those bands had great albums, but like 
we remember them primarily because of their singles. And like Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, yeah. I think, have a similar legacy. In a way, they're kind of like the last great rock. I mean, maybe like the Foo Fighters kind of had that for a while. You know, at least on rock radio, they, were, yeah. they had a really good run. They kind of petered out a little bit. I throw Aerosmith maybe in there as an American rock band that right. you remember for singles more than albums, really. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I mean, I think I think the thing that's fascinating now is imagine imagine someone coming out with songs that sound like Tom Petty's and being like, you know, the biggest hits in the world. You know, right. it, it seems so. You know, you this thing, you can dismiss in in a way and be like, oh, it's it's just simple. It's like these like you know radio friendly like you know pop rockets and like you know and and and. and but it feels so impossible right now. Well, country radio, you, know? you could. You could have country hits that sound like that, and that's why Tom Petty now has been guess, adopted by... Just, yeah, I guess. I mean, it just feels... It just... You know... I, this, I mean, it sounds an incredibly grumpy old man, but, like, it just... Um, it's just crazy to me that something like what he does could be considered an anathema in any way, or could be considered... Uh, it just seems... Um, so deceptively simple to do that kind of thing, like you know, and, and to and to now not appreciate the craft of, of being able to do those kinds of songs that could have you know such wide audiences, you know, like if like it's it would be absolutely impossible to replicate. And you could say that about so many artists' careers now, but like Tom Petty's career seems impossible to replicate. And even though we, you can take it for granted. And I just sort of tie back to what we were saying before about like why do we, um, you know, why do we listen to this stuff differently and have a different kind of reaction to now? It's because I do think there's that that sense of like that was really it, like a big heavy steel door shut behind him, you know, and uh, and what he did, whether you're super passionate about it or like oh yeah, I always like that guy, you know, there is still that realization of of, of what he did is, is not a thing that. that seems like possible in 2018 and and it's and it's easy to get a little wistful about that and it's easy to get a little bit like you know how did he do that you yeah. know <laughs> i want to go back to something you said before about how great his second tier is because i think that's a great point it was, it's similar to something i was going to bring up too because you know before we were doing the pod you know steve and i were talking about like i was saying like well, we should come up with lists of like our favorite deep cuts. And we were kind of debating like, what is a Tom Petty deep cut? And I was sort of saying like, well, anything on full moon fever can't be a deep cut. Cause that record is so ubiquitous. So that's like one definition, but I was going through this and he really does have these different tiers where you have the first tier, which are, are again, like your, your free fallens, your American girls, you know, the waiting or the waiting, you know, if you want to be casual, <laughs> you know, those 10, 12, 13, 15 songs that everyone knows. And then there's that second tier where they're not huge radio hits and maybe like super casual listeners don't know them, but like a song like You're So Bad or a song like The Wild One Forever or Straight Into Darkness, Rebels. You're like, are those deep cuts? Like, do those, do they count as deep cuts? Like, I don't. Yeah, I mean, they weren't weren't hits, they weren't singles. I mean, I think it's the same thing I was saying about Even the Losers before. I think Even the Losers, like, I always used to think of that as a deep cut. Um, and that it was never like a hit, but it's, it's been around for long enough that it, I think it's considered, you know, a hit, but it, it, there's no, like, there's no paper trip that, you know, you're, I don't think it was ever released as a single. I mean, if you're being like that, if you're being from like a pretty like, you know, strict definition of like between a hit and not a hit, you know, then, then I think songs like that, like straight into darkness, I would say, uh, insider, um, you know, songs that have, that have, uh, that have just honeybee. I guess songs that have sort of been around, you know, I think like songs that like, if maybe they'd be the second song he'd play on SNL, not the first one, right. you know, like, like that kind of, or maybe that's not, maybe that's too generous. Uh, um, but you know, things that are, they're not like, they're not, they're not like buried treasure, you know? Um, I will, I will definitely grant that there are songs on that box set that like, I didn't know. And I was into, like, shit, like that's weird that I didn't know that song. But, um, but he's got a lot of that. I mean, like, like after, there's just like there's like huge, huge realm after those like fifteen or so, um, you know, omnipresent ones that are just like as good as any of that. And like, I'm sure there's some, there's definitely a drop off between tier two and tier three, maybe. But like, um, but 
there's there's a lot there's a lot in there like um yeah no it's uh, for straight and dark as you'd mentioned that but that that feels like the like the quintessential one it was never i hit, i don't think it was ever like a radio you know hit or anything like that but every time you hear that you're like oh yeah that thing's great and i feel like yeah, anyone that has like you know any knowledge of tom petty knows that song you know, right. like you know, unless you only listen to him on the radio, you don't know that song. But I feel like most people, or like the Wild One Forever is another one mm-hmm. where I feel like if if you are at all a Tom Petty fan, you know that song. So I feel weird calling it a deep cut because I feel like anyone with any knowledge would say, "Well, that that song's too well known." Like I like I'm, it's not, I, I don't know. I mean that 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 album, you know, like that album was not like that first album was not a huge hit when it came out. Like Breakdown right. was like not really a single. And that was like, like it wasn't, I mean, people kind of came back to it, but like that wasn't, I don't know. Like, I, I don't, I don't feel like that, that, I, I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like one, th- <laughs> one thing that, you know, get, you know, going back again to my book again, Twilight of the Gods, that's a plug, Derek. <laughs> Um, well yeah, thank that. you. Uh, you know, the expertly filled, uh, the expertly played filler comment that I made in that book, which again, like when I wrote that, I wasn't trying to put him down. It was, it was my way of sort of complimenting him because again, I feel like Tom Petty for me has always been this artist that I've loved sort of unconditionally that I could just listen to any of his records and I would love it sort of instantly in sort of like a Pavlovian sense almost, you know, without having to intellectualize it. And I've always loved that about his music it's, at least like, you know, those big kind of red meat hits that he has. Um, but you know, one thing I've noticed as I've dug deeper into his catalog in the months after he died and you know, even before that, is that you really cannot underestimate the value of his band because there are a lot because there are a lot of Tom Petty songs that I think are merely good or just okay. And they sound amazing because Mike Campbell plays yeah. a great guitar solo at the end and Ben Montench is whipping out a piano solo or, or playing the organ on it. Like a song, you mentioned the song in passing a couple minutes ago, Honey Bee, because that was a song on my list for like kind of less heralded songs that I love. And um, I don't know if that's a song, but it's a great performance. And just the way, and I mean, that's not technically a Heartbreakers record, but like a lot of the Heartbreakers play on that song. And you know, in, in particular, Mike Campbell, and just any excuse to hear him play a guitar solo, I'm like, I'm kind of 75% of the way there, even if the song itself is just okay. You know, and I, and I always feel like Mike Campbell, especially because he co-wrote so many of the songs, is always like an underrated part of this story. Like we talk so much yeah. about Tom Petty, but those three guys, like, because you know, he had those two lieutenants with him on pretty much everything he did, you know, including yeah. the Mud Crutch stuff. Um, I don't think you can underestimate the, the value that they add to his music. And, and like, yeah, and, and like before they were, you know, like growing up, you know, it's like, I mean, not growing up, but like, you know, uh, like pre like, like there literally every step. And I, you know, I think about those guys a lot. Like, what is it like, what do you do? You know, like, like you, what do you, you wake up one day and like they're the person that you work with so closely and that you have, you know, that you sort of tied your entire musical identity to. I mean, they were more of a band than a lot of bands. Um, and it's like, you know, it's his name up top above the, above the title, but like, yeah, like you can't really picture one without the other. And, and that feels, uh, you know, honestly more true to me than like, if we're using the Springsteen comparison, like, you know, Campbell feels more like tied to that than like any one person in, in, and a bit, I feel like, and maybe I. Oh, I, I totally agree. I mean, in terms, that, you know, in terms of like and, the songwriting and, and like the you know actual construction of the records, like there's no one in the E Street Band that is as important yeah. as Mike Campbell is, and, 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 and Ben Montana. And I've thought a lot about too, like Mike Campbell. Well, I have, an, I have, I have a million dollar idea for the Heartbreakers. I think because I would pay to see the Heartbreakers play. Like yeah, I, yeah. I, I still want to see them play. I think what they should do is get like three or four. Song, like singer songwriter people, uh, that or maybe it's like a revolving cast, and like yeah. you just have them sort of sub in for Petty, and like it's like a revolving thing, almost like the last waltz, but instead of the band, yeah. it'd be the Heartbreakers, and they just have them do a tour that way. So, like, I wouldn't I, be surprised. I mean, like, I like I, in Ryan I, Adams, Connor Oberst, like I know people like that, that in that vein, like Jenny Lewis, uh, you know, just get like an all star cast of people. And have the Heartbreakers back them up. I think that would be an yeah. awesome tour. I don't know how you yeah. organize that, 
But I think that would be really cool to see. Or it was a couple one-offs. I mean, yeah, yeah. It would, but I mean, I, I, I mean, I thought a lot about how like Mike Campbell is in like Fleetwood Mac now, and how he just must be like you just don't know what to do, so you just want to like just go, like, just put me somewhere where I can play like guitar solos on songs I, I know, <laughs> you know, like and how, but don't let me sit home, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Like I, I, I just sort of have I don't I mean, I've not heard him speak to this at all, but like I just sort of feel like like. What do these guys do when they wake up that day after? And like, like, what do we do? Where do we go? Um, you know, it was never the kind of thing. I mean, I, I'm, I know that Mike Campbell, I'm sure he, he did stuff outside of Patty, but it's not like he had this other thing <laughs> that he that, that was his like real outlet. But then I'm going to help this guy. Like it was all. It was just, you know, that was his life too. And um, and. Uh, and what do you do with that when it when it's gone like all, you know that suddenly and um that's like i have so much sympathy for that and and i just and i think that it's so hard to to understand and i think a lot about um i hope this isn't too much of like a tangent but i think about this like uh man i talk about this story all the time but this profile that Zach Barron wrote a couple of years ago of uh of Adam Horowitz and um uh and it was just like and he was just like, he's like, I don't know what to do. This has been my entire life. <laughs> you know, my best friend died. My best friend is the guy I made all this music with. You know, I had no plan B. Um, I got, I was like wealthy while very young. I don't, I don't know what to do all day, you know? And, uh, and it's not something you think about at the time. I mean, I, I don't think that they're, I don't know if their situations are exactly the same um, in terms of like the suddenness, but I, I mean, I just think that it, like, when you're so tied to something and you just don't think about what you're going to do when that goes away. And I think about like, you know, Mike Campbell and Ben Montage and just how, you know, uh, just how strange that must be. Well, Adam and, Horowitz um, should also join Fleetwood Mac. That would, that would solve that problem. No, I or, think, or the, or the heartbreakers. Well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that you know, I mean, I saw a quote recently where Mike Campbell said like, we are going to play together again about the heartbreakers. So I think that they've probably already talked about doing something and mm-hmm. I'm telling you guys, and I know Mike and Ben Mott listen to this podcast or hopefully someone will sh- play them this podcast. Take my idea. I think that's a good idea. I think you should do some sort of last waltz tour with a bunch of other like people. Uh, maybe you play petty songs. Maybe there's other things you can do. But you're a great band. There's tons of people that would want to be backed up by the Heartbreakers. So do that. That's my idea for them. That's a good idea. So I've been wondering, before we let, before I let you go here, is there like one like, you know, lesser known Tom Petty song that you would say, check this one out, like this is an underrated track, you know, don't listen to American Girl again, listen to this song at least once. I mean, I, now I feel like I'm going to be because sh- you know it used to be even the losers, and then it like the past couple of years it's been straight in the darkness. But I feel like you would say that that's not that doesn't count because that's not <laughs> that's not deep enough. I would say like the the record that I find myself going back. To, it's not any particular song, but like like Highway Companion feels like the the there's like a lot of there's like there's like good stuff on there, and I feel like at the time it was kind of like okay, here's another one, and then. Um, and I feel like even with the, all the petty records after that, they were like, okay, like I, didn't, I don't think that like Hypnotic Eye and Mojo, like I don't think those did that much for me. But I remember thinking like, like there's a few different ones on uh, on Highway Companion that were like these feel like they could be, um, <clears throat> excuse me, they feel like they could be like right in there. And yeah. um yeah, down south uh, is on that record. That's a great down south, and I was that that's on the box set too. And I was um uh for sure, you know, it was weird. I hadn't thought about that, and I was like, oh, that's that's where that's from. But I remember like when that came out, thinking like this song is this is a great, like really interesting song, and it didn't really quite uh you know go anywhere. I don't know, maybe maybe that's not the right way to say it. Not didn't go anywhere, but it just didn't have that same kind of. um like Saving Grace, I think was I think like the single or the hit from that um, from that album, and that's like still also like really really good. Um, uh, I should have been prepared for this. And Highway Companion, produced by Jeff Lynne, so you even came around on Jeff Lynne yeah, at the end. I did, but it didn't, it didn't have that same didn't have that same kind of like you know. It's more stripped back, cavernous kind of sound to me. I'm not. I'm honestly not like a like a sonic. Sonic, uh, 
snob at all. I think that, like, if anything, like, those guys into the great wide open and the Wilbury record are probably the only records I've ever been like that about. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, they're, um, they're, yeah, they're pretty overblown. But I, I mean, I love those records. I mean, like w- one thing I was going to say, like for me, like the sort of underrated one would be probably uh, from Let Me Up, I've Had Enough from 1987, because that's like the one Tom Petty record, like from his glory years anyway, that I yeah. just could not get into. Like I love all of his other would, 80s records. Would Runaway the, Train count or is that too much? Of a well, I was going to say, that, well, it's funny you say that because that was the song I was going to mention yeah. off of that record. I mean, that whole record to me, it's interesting too. I mean, this is how, you know, different... The trend sometimes affect how older music sounds because now when I listen to that record, because like before when I would listen to Let Me Up, I've Had Enough, it just sounded like so 80s to me in a way. I guess, I mean, Southern Accents yeah. has some of that problem too, but like like Long After Dark and Hard Promises, I always loved those records, but Let Me Up, I Have Enough, I've Had Enough, I just couldn't get into. But now like a song like Runaway Trains, I mean, it sounds like you know, the rough draft or the war on drugs, like when I listen to that song. Like a yeah. lot of the, this is like very kind of synthy uh, sounding rock songs on, on that record, uh, and so it's really interesting to kind of revisit it through that lens now. And yeah, uh, yeah I Runaway have, I Trains, say, I think, is a great song. I also uh, the song "Let Me Up" and "Had Enough" was always uh, great, and I, I pop I, that that actually holds up. That does not feel quite as like 1987 or 1980. Um, uh, that that really holds up as being a pretty like straightforward. Um, uh, so that would be on that would be on the short list. Well, so, so Steve, I feel like I could talk about Tom Petty with you for a long time here, but I, I think I've kept you longer than I said I would. So I'm I'm gonna let you oh, go. Okay. But this was, was but this was so fun talking with you. I hope that uh, Thanks, man. I can have you on again sometime. Absolutely, yeah. I know we had one idea that we were talking about uh, a while ago. But I'd to oh yes, yes, we, yes. I there is to. there is an idea that's been floated. So yeah. that might be. The, that might be the show that, that gets Steve the uh, friend of the pod status. <laughs> no, so. <laughs> all I've ever wanted is to be a friend of someone's pod. <laughs> all right, Steve. Well, hey. Oh, hey, man. Th- right. Thanks again, man. Take care. All right. So that was me and Steve talking about Tom Petty. I love talking about Tom Petty. I love writing about Tom Petty. And I don't know. Maybe we'll do him again sometime. I, you know, we always do these series on artists. I don't know if we have to do a deep dive on Tom Petty at some point. Yeah, he'd be a good one. He'd be a good topic. Uh Thank you again, everyone, for listening to this week's episode. We would not be here without our, without our Celebration Rock Pod listeners, so thank you for your support. Also got to give a shout-out to Derek Madden, the man who makes it happen. Thank you, Derek, for being the producer. And thank you, Josh Copperman, for writing our theme song. Josh, thank you so much. Guys, we will be back again next week with more Celebration Rock. Until then, take it easy. On the Westwood One Podcast Network. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.